One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Order and chaos. In this podcast, Eckhart talks about the paradox of order and chaos. From the minor disruptions we experience in daily life to bigger events like the loss of income or someone we love, Eckhart says chaos and disorder are an essential part of a higher order. If we surrender to the present moment, life's challenges will shake us out of our complacency transforming our consciousness. Two fundamental opposites in this world, without which the world could not even be, are the opposites of order and disorder. Another word for disorder, when it becomes more extreme, would be chaos. Order and chaos, or order, and disorder, usually we would prefer, of course, to have order in our lives, which means to have things going well, things growing, we learn things, we experience new things, your life unfolds, we would like relative harmony in our lives, and yet that very often is marred by the eruption of some form of disorder, and usually we resent that. We can get resentful or angry or despondent or sad. Things in our lives are not going in a way we would want them to go. And so disorder can come in many forms. What I call disorder, well, it may not usually be recognized as disorder, a simple thing, whenever the smooth way in which your life unfolds on a daily basis is interrupted by some form of adversity, let's say you lose your wallet. So suddenly something comes in which looks like an act of sabotage against you and you're thrown into fear or panic or confusion, suffering arises and that's a relatively small thing. You're at a meeting and suddenly there's a huge disagreement and people shouting at each other before it was going well. And then one person made a comment and everybody reacted. And before you know it, the meeting has degenerated into disorder. It comes in so many forms, small forms, missing an appointment, missing the plane, contracting a small illness or having a small accident. Disorder comes in many, many forms, big and small. And usually when disorder comes, it creates kind of havoc sometimes in our lives for a while. 
And there's definitely the strong underlying belief that there's something very wrong, that this should not be happening, or the underlying belief there's something wrong with me, or somebody's against me, maybe God is against me, otherwise why would this be happening to me? Slightly bigger forms of disorder, breakdown of a marriage, you lose your job, you lose your home, a more serious illness, something bad happening to somebody very close to you, child, spouse, or something connected with the collective, pandemic, financial breakdown, civil unrest, hurricanes, earthquakes, and so usually it brings up very strong reaction. As I said, the ways in which you can react is through anger, through fear, through panic, becoming sad, despondent, say, what's the point of it all? I tried so hard to build up this business and now this has to happen. Now, we need to understand that, uh, again, disorder, which earlier we called adversity, is inevitable and is an essential part of a higher order. Normally, when we look at order and disorder, we look at order, which things are going as they should, they're going well. We call that that's harmonious. Disorder is lack of harmony, something comes in, or could even be worse, could be chaos. So we usually look at as order as desirable, it's harmony and things going well. Disorder is undesirable, lack of harmony, things going wrong. And that's true on this one level, that's true. But there is always other levels. You can look at it from a higher perspective, a higher level. The existence of order and disorder, or order and chaos, are a necessary part for the evolution of life. A few examples. I sometimes walk in the forest, and when you walk in the forest, there's the, the typical smell that you have of this vegetation. But part of the, what you smell in the forest is actually the soil, especially when it's been raining. You can smell the soil. Now, what is the soil? The soil is mostly decaying matter. The soil is trees that have fallen or other plants that have died, and these plants are returning into the molecular structure of the plants and so on. It's no, no longer ordered. The atoms are separating. They, they are dissolving into disorder. It's no longer structured. It's not orderly. The decaying matter is a manifestation of disorder or chaos. It's death. And yet, the death is necessary for the new trees to thrive and to grow. They grow out of the chaos of decaying matter, grows the new order of new plant life and new trees. You cannot separate them. Every day, when you eat, whatever you eat, you create disorder or chaos to that which you eat. You bite into an apple, the apple has a very orderly molecular structure. When you bite into an apple and you start chewing it, 
you destroy the order that created the apple, the molecular that makes it into an apple. You create chaos or disorder. So that's what you do every time you eat. Then the apple goes into the digestive system and things happen to this. It's now become disorderly. But then your body absorbs the nutrients and the, this becomes part of the, again, the orderly structure of your body. So the, the food is destroyed, chaos is created, so that life can be sustained and continue. Interesting way of looking at it. Many people have found that they experience a deepening and a deeper sense of self or beingness, a deeper peace or some kind of renewal in their lives after, immediately after and as a result of having endured a period of disorder or chaos. That is, I don't know if you're familiar with the spiritual term which comes from Christianity, medieval Christianity, dark night of the soul, the dark night of the soul, Christian spiritual teachers and mystics in the Middle Ages, I think they created this expression. What it means is before you awaken spiritually, it's before quite a few of those teachers awakened spiritually, they experienced extreme forms of despondency and depression where everything suddenly became meaningless. So they experienced in their mental chaos, so to speak, or often even mental breakdown. And out of that, where in, and in this mental breakdown, the old self kind of died, experienced a death. So there was the eruption of disorder, of destruction, the destruction. Then out of that, a deeper realization arose. And so that is the, the dark night of the soul is basically the experience of, of inner chaos or inner disorder. When things don't make sense anymore, that's a form of disorder on the level of mind. And other people, they experience some kind of breakdown in their lives. It could be sometimes two or three things happening, bad things happening at the same time. At the same time, they, their marriage collapsed, they lost their job and their income, and then somebody very close to them died at the same time. The eruption of, well, could say, to use our current our terminology, the eruption of disorder suddenly came in multiple forms. And when something that you had identified with that became part of, had become part of your life, suddenly dissolves, is taken away, that's, you could call disorder. I sometimes compare that to a tapestry, and when you have a tapestry, that's your life, the various elements that make up your life, let's say in this analogy, it's like a tapestry. That's, this is the people that you know, your family, your your work, your home, all the tapestry of your life, and suddenly something is torn out of this tapestry of your life violently. It could have been an accident, it could be, as I said, complete financial 
breakdown or whatever it may be, end of marriage, and suddenly it leaves a gaping hole in the tapestry of your life. And it's, yes, basically it certainly is disorder. And yet often people report that they experience spiritual awakening when holes appeared in the tapestry of their lives. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. So the tapestry of their lives represents whatever it is that these people identified with and called it my life. And suddenly what you called my life, a big chunk of what you called your life is not there anymore. And that can be very painful. But the strange thing is, it's precisely there that many humans experienced a transcendence. To remain for a moment with this analogy, the hole that was torn into the, the tapestry of their lives, this hole pointed to something beyond the forms of life. The, there was a, a space behind that hole. Is an, and the hole is an empty space. And so they suddenly experienced an empty space within where something had been before. Let's say your spouse died, or even worse, your child died or your mother died, father, and suddenly there's, where there, before there was this presence that was part of your life, there is an empty space. I mean, when somebody dies, you can look next day, there's a chair, they, they sat in this chair, every day they would sit in this chair, and now the chair is empty. It's very strange, this, this emptiness left behind. And the, at first it's very painful, but it can be that when you come to a place of acceptance, the emptiness brings about an inner emptiness in you, but not in a negative sense, an emptiness in the sense of spaciousness, where something you become aware of, just the content is gone, this particular content of your consciousness is gone, and what remains when you remove the content of your consciousness is the consciousness itself without the content. One could also say, to use another analogy, the ripple on the surface of the ocean, this particular ripple has dissolved. It's not there anymore, but what's left is the ocean. The ripple had a particular form, but the ocean has no form. And that's what's left is the formless consciousness. And that is the realization of the transcendent dimension within you. And 
that often comes with breakdown, loss, death. In other words, the experience of some form of disorder or chaos. In other words, again, something that would normally be labeled as bad or very bad. And that's very strange. So here we have that something that normally would be called good, and then we have something that's normally called bad, but that which was called good actually kept you in a relatively confined and limited place, whereas that which is called conventionally called bad created an opening in you. This loss created an opening in you. Strange fact is that the good, and usually perhaps when you say my life is going well, so you're in a relative comfort zone in your life, things are going well, and when something so-called bad erupts, it then destroys this, the comfort zone. But the strange fact is that it almost never happens that people awaken spiritually while they're in their comfort zone, or that they deepen, become more deeper as human beings, which would be a partial awakening. It almost never happens. So the place where people truly, where the evolutionary shift happens, or the evolutionary step forward, the evolutionary leap, is usually the experience of disorder. <laughs> in a person's life, but not only in a person's life, we'll see in a minute. And so your life then moves between order and disorder. You have both and they're both necessary. And you don't have to look for disorder because you want to awaken spiritually and then you say, okay, I need to make myself suffer and I need to give up everything and make myself suffer Many people have done that in the past because they could see how it operates. They could see that when somebody suffers, there's a possibility of transcendence and awakening, not a guarantee. They may be stuck in their suffering until they die, or they may die off their suffering. So there's no guarantee that when disorder erupts or when you suffer, that this will bring about an awakening or at least a, a deepening. There's always the possibility, it is an opportunity, but often it is not, it is missed. And then the person become even more deeply entrenched in their egoic sense of self, that is, becomes very rigid. You can see it with some people who have had a bad life and what's left of them towards their end, the end of their lives is a personality whose main component is a deep sense of bitterness, grievances and resentments. Instead of having given them an opening into transcendence, it has made the ego more rigid. That's not uncommon. So you get older people, sometimes even younger people, who already have a, an important part of their personality is their grievances, their bitterness and their resentment. And that colors everything they, they see and perceive and every relationship. And that's very sad. Nobody has told them, because it's not common knowledge yet, that experiencing suffering can be a great opportunity and is actually inevitable in everybody's life. 
They didn't know. Nobody at school teaches these things, which should, should be one of the most important subjects at school. There's no guarantee then that it will happen. It's just an, it's just an opportunity for it to happen. Now, sometimes suffering is already a disorder, is already experienced early in a person's life. Some children are born into a very chaotic environment. There could be violence where they live in their family, be, between their parents. One parent or both parents could be alcoholics, could be drug addicts. Some children are born into very disordered and chaotic environments. And, uh, and other children experience great loss at an early age. Some children experience the loss of one of their or one or both of their parents when at a very young age like six seven through accidents and so on that's a huge a huge challenge early in a person's life nobody can predict what effect this will have on the child without guidance it could easily mean that the especially in a child that grows up in a very dysfunctional household with alcoholism violence and drug addiction the chance that this child will, through experiencing this type of chaos or adversity, that this child will grow into a very conscious adult, the chances are relatively small, especially if the child gets no guidance from anybody at all. All that happens there is the perpetuation of the dysfunction, and then the child would then have a relationship and perhaps create a similar environment again. And then there, the next generation, until perhaps sometimes it happens after a generation of several dysfunctional family backgrounds, finally one human can break this, this vicious circle and, and suddenly step out and awaken spiritually and become an enormous power for good in this world. But this person came out of sometimes generations of suffering and dysfunction. There are children who experience early loss in their lives through loss of a parent, or, and some of them become mature at a very early age. That can happen too. I've seen that a few times, where children who've already been through that great loss already has, have access to wisdom. Even at the age of 11 or 12, they, they say wise things. So it can go either way. So the important thing is to realize it is inevitable that both opposites you will experience, both opposites in your life. Usually it is advisable that you strive for order in your life. It's advisable that you think positively if you can, that you acknowledge the goodness of life in every moment, that you live in a state of gratitude, because the more you live in a state of acknowledging the good that is here now, the more good will manifest in your life. It does not mean, however, even if you live like that every day, you will still experience certain forms of disorder erupting into your life, but probably much less so than a person who is very unconscious and whose daily life is fairly negative with continuous complaining with harboring grievances, with bouts of anger, with always accusing other people of this or that, always 
criticizing everything and everybody. There already you have a you have a lack of lack of harmony even in their daily lives, and often these people experience a succession of of disasters and drama and and so on. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. The periods then for, for creating something new, there's a new order that you create. When you create something new, you create whatever it may be, a new structure, a new business, and you, create, you write a book, you create, you make music, you create some artistic, whatever it may be, you create something new in this world. That means you, you bring about a new structure that is an ordered structure into this world. It's all order, and that's, that's good. So that's the, the creative periods in your life is when you manifest a new order, orderly structure, and this, this is wonderful. But even if you do, at some point, you will still experience from time to time, the eruption of disorder in whatever form, perhaps what you created will still, is, of course, what you created is still subject to the law of impermanence of all things, so nothing lasts for too long, so whatever you create may not last. If you get too attached to what you create and you said, I did that, if there's ego in it, then you suffer a lot when th things begin to dissolve or leave you. No matter how consciously you live, a certain amount of disorder will occasionally appear. And of course, we're all moving towards old age and finally death. Of course, death is the ultimate disorder or chaos for the human being because it's the same as the forest where the trees have fallen and the soil is, is basically decaying matter. So when you die, that which held the atoms and molecules of the body together in an orderly way, taught very in, highly intelligent structure, suddenly is totally disordered, it begins to dissolve. So on a physical level, we are all moving towards, obviously, disorder. And even when you get old, you begin to get old, you experience the body doesn't function as well anymore. Just athlete, you reach a certain age and suddenly you, you can't do this anymore, you can't do that anymore. If you were too identified with the order in your life, if you derived your sense of identity from the order in your life, then you suffer. So you appreciate, you can appreciate the order in your life, the order is going well, you have certain abilities that other people may not have, it's, that's wonderful. You have achieved perhaps certain things that other people have not achieved, but things that have contributed 
to enriching people's lives or making people more conscious, all that's wonderful. But if there was a sense of I in, in whatever you created, which means you derived your sense of identity from that which you created, and it's not going to last, or, or the abilities that you have that others don't have, it's not going to last. So anything you identify with creates suffering because it will leave you or it will dissolve or not satisfy you. It's subject to the law of impermanence. In other words, it will go back to disorder. Everything in this world is subject to impermanence. Everything in this world, including your body, and yet there's something within you that is not subject to impermanence. We'll come to that in a little while. I just want to mention one more thing to see how order and disorder operates on all levels. We talked about the forest, we talked about when you eat, you create disorder so that a new order can then manifest. On a huge global scale, the planet itself periodically experiences the eruption of extreme disorder or chaos. This has been found through geology, and virtually all scientists agree with those findings. And what they found is in the evolutionary life of our planet, the planet has already experienced five extinctions. Five times in the life of this planet, life became almost extinct. It was always the borderline of extinction of all life. I think, believe, if I remember correctly, in the second extinction, which I don't know when it was, 400 million years ago, over there, almost 90% of all life forms disappeared. The last one, they say, was 60 million years ago. And I believe that was the one where the dinosaurs and many other species disappeared fairly quickly, probably created by a meteor impact. Now, that's a great example for disorder, where before you had an orderly planet, harmonious life, suddenly a huge thing comes from outer space and rams into this planet and totally changes everything, the climate, everything immediately changed. Temperature would have probably fallen very, very quickly because there's not much sunlight coming through anymore. So that was about 60 million years ago. Now, the interesting fact is, yes, it took the planet each time several million years to recover, so to speak, but every time it did more than recover. Every time the life forms that came became more complex. There was greater complexity of life forms. And then the, com the complex life forms were destroyed again, like 100 million years later, and again to destruction and then rebirth. So the, the planet has experienced destruction on a vast scale, rebirth and destruction already five times. Some people say we are moving into a sixth extinction. That's a very interesting subject and very relevant. But here I'm just giving it as an example for this law of opposites, order and disorder, operates on all levels. So it's the same law when you bite into an apple. It's suggested as the law that brings about massive extinctions on the planet. Humans are surprised because they don't know these things. When suddenly disorder happens, as it's happening now, for example, 
with the pandemic, life seemed so safe and secure and suddenly it doesn't seem that safe and secure anymore. It's a great shock to many people. They didn't realize that the life that surrounds us is not that secure. Everybody is one heartbeat away from death. Everybody who listens to this will be dead in a few years, but by a few I mean could be anything from one or two to 80 or 90 years, not that much. They are amazed at this, uh, when a pandemic happens, then you become a little bit aware of your mortality. And that can be a great, at first perhaps painful, but then a deepening realization. Mortality, the awareness of mortality has, is happening to many people now. And they are fearful, as if they, nobody had told them that death could happen at any moment. Now you might think, well, if you're young, you're in their 20s or 30s, or you think, I don't need to think about death, it's a long way away. Or as I heard somebody say not a while ago, a young 20-year-old said, uh, she said, oh, I'm not worried about death. By the time I get old, they will have found a cure for it. It's uh, such a long way in the future. We should not dwell on death in a morbid fashion, but to be aware that death can happen easily and not necessarily when you grow old. If you're lucky, you grow old and then you die. Some people would say if you're unlucky, you grow very old and then you die. You experience, in some cases, years of disability. But many young people die. We are not aware there are certain things that we take for granted. For example, every year, approximately 1,250,000 people die in traffic accidents on the planet. 1,250,000, many are young. Out of these, at least two or three times as many experience a serious disability through traffic accidents. They survive, but serious injury. There's despair, suicide. 800,000 to 1 million people commit suicide every year. On average, every 40 seconds, somebody commits suicide on the planet. And people, of course, die continuously. In this very moment, several people are dying right now, and now, and now, and now, continuously. Others are being born. Amazing. Now, death, suffering, and death. Interesting, when the Buddha was a young man, he grew up in a very wealthy environment, very protected, because his parents, his father especially, protected him from all adversity, only surrounded by beautiful things, good food, pleasant experiences. That was how the Buddha grew up. <laughs> then when he was already, I don't know how old, 20 or something, for the first time he left the sheltered environment of the palace grounds. Maybe his parents were kind of probably kings of a small kingdom. And he went to the village and a town and there he saw an old person, because he had always been surrounded by lovely young people, because his father wanted him to not experience unhappiness. It had been predicted that the Buddha would either become a great spiritual master, or he would become very successful in business, or as a ruler of a kingdom. His father wanted him to be successful as a ruler. I said, he must not become spiritual, so we're not going to show him anything that might give who put bad ideas into his head. 
But he did leave his parents, his palace, on an excursion when he was maybe 20 or 21. And he saw a 90-year-old man there close to death, and he was so shocked. And what is this? He said, he's old. Old? What's that? And said, well, it happens to everybody sooner or later. What? This is terrible. And then he walked a bit further and he saw a sick person, I don't know, probably coronavirus, and the sick person was there, oh, so it's painful. What's that? This person is sick. Sick? He said, yes, everybody eventually gets sick. Everybody experiences, what? One, he saw a dead body. He said, what's that? He said, this is a dead body. What? Yes, everybody dies. He couldn't believe it. If this is our destiny, then everything I've experienced so far is delusion. If he had experienced it from an early age, he would have gotten used to it. But because his father waited for so long to release him into the world, it was such a shock to him to experience sickness, old age, and death that he said, I need to find something, whether there's anything beyond that, because if there's nothing beyond it, everything is meaningless. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. And that was the beginning of his spiritual search. He left, and then what he did then is, what he had never experienced before, he inflicted adversity on himself because he became an ascetic monk who live on virtually no food. They eat locusts and, and leaves, and for several years he practiced extreme deprivations of all sense pleasures, and he became very, very thin and almost wasted away. So he knew he needed to experience something beyond, and after that, he said, no, this is not the way either. Then he started eating and drinking again, and then he became enlightened. So some people say he realized that adversity or extreme deprivation or suffering doesn't get you there, but that's not really true. He had to go through extreme suffering and deprivation, which he inflicted on himself, and then he went, he stopped it, and if he hadn't gone through that and realized you don't really need that, <laughs> but he did, <laughs> you don't really need it, but you do need it. There's a, there's a paradox here. People have recognized how it works that through disorder and suffering you awaken. In many traditions they have tried to recreate adversity in a spiritual setting. They've tried to recreate the experience of deprivation, of even sensory deprivation, of deprivation of food, of in many, many traditions in order to bring about a spiritual awakening through extreme forms of adversity. I don't think that's necessary, and in very few cases has it actually worked. 
although I can see the idea behind it, it seems to make sense, but you don't need it. Life is enough. Normal life is enough. Normal life will give you exactly what you need for your spiritual awakening. Normal life will give you good experiences and normal life will also give you the experience of disorder or chaos. The important thing is to come to realize that to believe that there is something fundamentally wrong when you experience disorder or chaos, that's a delusion that, that prevents you from fully, one could almost say, yes, taking advantage of this opportunity that loss or disorder brings when you believe this should not be happening to me. Why to me? Well, it happens to everybody sooner or later. So if you complain about it, if you have a strong inner resistance to it, then you cannot accept what's happening. You are in opposition to the flow of life. You have an antagonistic relationship with the present moment because what is happening in the present moment you condemn as dreadful. You have a narrative around it, so you cannot use this opportunity of deepening and awakening. So harmony, disharmony on a, this conventional level, order is harmony, disorder is disharmony or chaos, but on a higher level there is a higher hidden harmony which includes disorder and chaos because these two Life moves between these two opposites and evolves between these two opposites. So there is a, a higher order that includes all the bad things that on our level where we are looked, look very bad. Hidden harmony that is transcendent. And uh, that's uh, helpful to know, but not just as a, a mental belief that doesn't help very much if you said, well, Eckhart said there's a hidden harmony, so it must be true. Well, no, it's not true unless you at least have a glimpse of what that means. Harmony that's beyond the so-called good and bad, that is beyond good and bad. And you can see what it means perhaps in your own life if you've already been through a certain amount of suffering and seeing that it's taken you already this far, so it has had a purpose, it's brought you here. Of course, it could have killed you. What then? Now, that's an interesting question. The usual argument, or very the most common argument against the existence of God is a fact of suffering. And so usually when you argue with an atheist, or two atheists talking to each other and agreeing with everything they say, the, the person who denies the existence of God, whatever that is, but they talk about it without really knowing what it is, but let's put that aside. When you use the word God, it doesn't mean you know what you're talking about, you're just using a sound. So the usual argument is, for the non-existence of God, is the fact of human suffering and, and violence and disorder. And they say, look, if God is omnipotent, as God is supposed to be omnipotent, because if he's not omnipotent, he's not God. 
if God is omnipotent, would he allow this suffering? Would he allow a child to die of a disease? Would he allow millions to die in a pandemic? Would he allow genocide in concentration camps and in labor camps? The dreadful things that have happened to humans, mostly actually done by humans to other humans. Would he allow these things? If I were God, I wouldn't allow, I would have created a much better world, a just and fair world, and not this. So therefore, I would be morally superior to this God that you talk about, this is the argument. Therefore, there is no God, because if I'm morally superior, then what kind of a God is that? And so that's the traditional argument against it, what is the seemingly meaningless suffering in this world on a huge, vast scale. But it could be that the starting point for the discussion was already a mistake. And the starting point for this discussion was the belief that there is an, an controlling entity somewhere that could control things, that has created all these imperfect things, could improve them and could control them, but is refusing to do so. So you start with this idea that there's an omnipotent entity who is, who is not doing what he, usually it's a he, who is not doing what he should be doing. And therefore, either he doesn't exist or he is not worthy of being called God and maybe he's just a, just a demon. There was actually belief in the very early Christianity, there were the Gnostics, a Christian sect, and some of them believed that the God of the Old Testament and the God that created this world was an inferior deity, that uh, not God at all, because if it were God, it would not have created this extremely imperfect world. So here we have the starting point for this discussion was already the erroneous assumption that there is an omnipotent being somewhere that could control things, but doesn't do it, or takes pleasure in torturing people. So we have to remove the erroneous foundation for this discussion and say this is not what God is at all. God is not an entity somewhere that's controlling. So what meaning does God have then, the word God? Very hard to talk about. The moment you talk about it, you can almost say you've already distorted it. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered what the stars have to say about your favorite artists and writers? Listen to Stars and Stars with Isa, where I, your host and astrologer, Isa Nakazawa, read and interpret astrological birth charts of luminaries like W. Kamau Bell, Gia Tolentino, and so many more. You'll discover how astrology can unlock fascinating insights about these stars. And who knows, maybe you'll learn a little bit more about yourself. Listen to Stars and Stars with Isa wherever you get your podcasts. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. 
If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.